or when someone yeah. you can have like a really great conversation and then as soon as someone hits record it's like uh oh and then a yeah. silence incurs like well now we're recording so <laughs> i feel like i need to say something <laughs> profound Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a titillating podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we discuss all the topics that you were told not to talk about in polite company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. And this week, I'll be joined by Ramon Campamore from Dad's Podcast Project, and we'll be discussing podcasting with a baby <laughs> at home and marriage and all that sort of stuff. Very exciting. Joel, unfortunately, was not able to be there because of family, family things going issues, on. Yes. But um, you are here now. Yes, and excitedly so. But before we begin, let's talk about what we have on tap. Joel, what do we have? So, <clears throat> again, for my great cousin, we have SoCal Coops DDH West Coast IPA. Super tropical nose, and um, let's see if they tell us where these guys brew. Somewhere in Southern California, probably San Diego, because uh, they have so many great, great... No! What the heck? This is crafted and canned in Santa Cruz oh, yeah. by Humble Sea Brewing. Huh. So, that's why they call it SoCal Kooks, because Santa Cruz being such a great surf town wants to put down people from the south so oh so surfers it's... from the south yeah they're very uh, <gasps> uh territorial okay and, and there's uh there's kind of a rivalry going on between santa cruz and huntington beach as surf town usa so that's that explains things it's a great beer from santa cruz I, it, the smell is amazing oh too. that's a super good nose i hate to say that about beer that's so pretentious <sighs> yeah i know but it's so good was that guava? Yeah, I think it's guava. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Nice. If I could have a beer with Jesus. If I could have a beer with Jesus. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Jose and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about. For two minutes, though we tend to be chatterboxes, so that isn't a strict time limit. And this week, I would like to talk about 100 things. No, it's really more like 15 things. I just read a great article in Lifehacker uh, called Mind-Blowing Facts. And I just thought I would share them with you. And so I'm going to quiz you because I love quizzing you. You're amazing at being <laughs> able to, to know, like, facts. And so... Question number one, true or false, Jose? Sure. Um, when we are born, actually when we're in our womb, we actually have six toes and one goes away. True or false? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to say that is false. Gosh darn it. I thought I'd get you there. Okay, you're right. Oh, okay, no. then you'll probably guess right on this one too. When you get a kidney transplant, they usually just leave your original kidneys in your body and put the third kidney in your pelvis. True or false? That sounds false. That's true. Oh, it is true. Oh, you got me on that one. Okay, good. <laughs> good. I'm so happy. There are roughly 200 corpses on Mount Everest that are used as waypoints for climbers. 
I'm going to say false because I think it might be more than that. Wow. I thought 200 was super high. I knew that there was a lot of deaths on Mount Everest, but 200, no, that's true. Oh, it's true. oh so I'm wrong. Yeah. Oh, wow. How, what percentage of the population, the world's population, mm-hmm. do you think lives in the uh, northern hemisphere? Now, I'll mm. say you get it correct if you're within 10 percentage points. Oh, goodness. The northern hemisphere? The northern hemisphere. What percentage of the world's population lives in the northern hemisphere? I'm going to say like 70%. Okay. I got you on that one too. Oh, really? What is the number? It's 90%. Oh, shoot. And that's nutty to me. That's crazy. Yes, that's nutty. It kind of makes sense that it's a lot more than 50%, but 90%? Yeah. I was thinking it had to be three-fourths at least. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, Let's just do a few more. What percentage of all people born before 1800 died before the age of five? And we're going to do the same. If you're within 10%, you're going to be good. What percentage of people uh-huh. before 1800 died before the age of five? So what's the mortality rate? Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. What age did they die? Huh. Or what percentage of people died before? I'll five? say 40%. Wow. You're 43%. But that's still shocking. That's shocking, yeah. That is super shocking. Oh, so I was super close on that one. Yeah, heck yeah. yeah. All right. True or false? Mm-hmm. Redheads uh, typically need more anesthesia than people with different hair color. Oh, I'll say true. Yeah, that's true. They are 20% more, they need more, 20% more painkiller because they're very sensitive to pain. I thought that was so, so fascinating. True or false? Mm-hmm. There are more trees on earth than there are stars in the milky way oh my goodness that's a that's a tough one but i'm gonna say true you are right but i don't i mean i would have laughed at you if you asked me that because i am always told there's so many stars in the milky way but it just shows you how many trees yeah that we have and and of course they're disappearing at a very fast rate shockingly yeah true or false you can fit all the planets in the space between the earth and moon all the planets? Yes, all the planets. I'm going to say false. True. It is true. You can fit Jupiter, which is massive, uh, Neptune, Saturn. Huh. I won't say the other one. Uranus. I say, so <laughs> I, I, do a, I do a little book that with Frankie oh, yeah, yeah, on the solar system. It, yeah. I say Uranus. Okay, that's not, well, that's just urine, then. You're just changing I'm one sh- body part to a bodily another- fluid, yes. Oh, crap. Urine on us, on yeah. Urine on, yeah. like Theranos. I just but- say, say it like, like the people would have back then, Uranus. Uranus. I'm, I'm, I think that they might <laughs> I like have, that. but I don't know. That's good. Okay, that's enough of that. I thought that was super cool, that article. And there's a ton more if you guys want to look it up. And where is that at? Uh, Lifehacker. Lifehacker. Mind-blowing facts, yeah. Oh, a wow. great website. That's cool. So this week, I want to discuss a position in the Vatican called the Devil's Advocate. Which I always thought was an idiom made up by some, like Shakespeare. I know, but maybe it is. And they just borrowed it from Shakespeare. But this title, the Advocatus Diaboli, Diaboli, I'm not good at my Latin apparently, Devil's Advocate. Basically, what this person does is every time... Someone is put up for canonization or um, to be made into a saint. Mm-hmm. This person, their job is to go through and look for everything that would disqualify them. Man. So basically to make them look like um, they do not rise to the level of being honored or remembered as a saint. Man, canonized. I love that. 
Because who's going to speak against these guys that are totally canon, being canonized? You know, that's right. That's so I think, a synonym for somebody who's so awesome you don't even speak ill of them. So this person's job is to find every possible ill thing about them. Okay. So that you're not getting people sneaking in through. So I bring this up because there is this individual who's on the track to being canonized okay. named Bishop Fulton Sheen. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to talk about somebody else. I'll bring oh, that person up next. Go ahead. So... It's taken forever for this person to get as far as he was. And actually, there was a date set for this month, December, uh, for him to be canonized. But some potential revelations have been um, leaked to where the Vatican stopped his canonization. This person is super famous in the United States for, he had a show in the evening, like in the 50s and 60s. And he was up against Milton Berle. And he would sometimes beat Milton Berle Whoa. in ratings. Now, did they say what he did? Is it sexual again? Or? Yes. Oh, so no, not again. Potentially, he was um, not dealing with um, sex crimes, pedophilia, or what have you, in the ranks when he was the bishop. Oh, so he wasn't the perpetrator himself, at least. No, but, but he wasn't doing enough right. to get the other rid way. of mm-hmm. priests. And yeah. He was like... You know, doing the whole game of, like, moving right. him around. Yeah, and I don't want to make light of, of his transgression. That's horrible, but... If that's true. wasn't him. And yeah. it's not, if it's true, that's if hard that's to... Yeah. So they're, they're in the process right now of investigating. Now, I was going to bring up uh, Junipero Serra. Oh, okay. Who I don't think is a saint yet. He they, is, yeah. Oh, he is. Okay, they just recently... But Stanford uh, recently either did or asked the, a street through their uh, campus to be changed because of his treatment of, of natives. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of those instances where we're looking at it yeah. 2020 yeah. from the future yeah. and not looking at, like, contemporaneously what did he do. Yeah. And I think some of his writings would show that he advocated for a less aggressive treatment of natives yeah we would still frown on it oh totally (laughs) today but looking at it from that time what are we doing right now that is going to be just scorned in a hundred years i'm sure there's a lot i think trump is just no what are you and i doing do you think that we're doing we have a viewpoint that is just going to be so frowned upon I don't know. That's a good question. I, I love to think of that, and I sometimes think that having pets is someday going to be frowned upon. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I wonder. Definitely zoos, I think, are, but For I, sure. I, I'm sure there's way more. Well, you and I have gone to SeaWorld, so oh, yeah. we're cretins. Oh, totally. <laughs> we're horrible. Now, when uh, you talk about the devil's advocate, I think of these things they send us in the mail for picking like propositions. Oh, I yeah. love them. How they have the pro and the con. Yeah. Not only do they have the pro and the con, they have the pro and the con of each pro and con. Right, exactly. And I wish that, I guess, every publication had this, like, differing viewpoint right next to it. Right. Because so much of what we read is totally partisan, and we don't get the whole story. And it'd be so nice to get a devil's advocate for every single article we read, right? Right. And that's sweet. That's what this person's job is, is to make sure that no one's getting through into being canonized who has tons of skeletons in the closet that would... You know. Love it. So anyway, check it out. Ah, I bet that's where the idiom come, came from, too. It might be. Huh? I don't think Shakespeare should get credit for that one. Further investigation. Yeah. All right, so today we are joined by Ramon Campo Amor. Did yes. I say it right? 
Campamore. I've heard it every which way under the sun. Campamore, Campamore, mm-hmm. where people want to roll that R. <laughs> However you say it, even if you hiccup on the name, it's I, I know my last name. so <laughs> You know what it is. And you have the Dad's Podcast Project, which you've been doing approximately two years, maybe longer. What started this project for you? I'm curious. In the beginning, it was really just about creating a, an archive of audio files that I can look back on and reference throughout the years. I remember growing up and always hearing like aunts and uncles or even my parents saying, oh, this was easy when you were a kid or it was never that hard or never that difficult. And I think with age, we don these rose-colored glasses as grandparents or as older parents that we don't remember the way things really were when we had a newborn, when we had a two-year-old. And how on edge like our kids might get us and so I want to record some of those moments and some of the experiences that I'm having as well as maybe create a library that they can also reference back if they had any questions in the event of tragedy I mean it's like a time capsule or whatever the case may be Uh, but it's also a way for me to kind of just I don't know if the correct term would be detox or Whatever the, I've heard it before when people go out to like conventions or to to like a trade show and then they come back to work and they sort of they they de I'll just say detox but they detox and they pretty much fill in their coworkers with the information that they had so I guess deload or something like that and it's a way for oh do you mean to, like debrief or something or? yeah like a debrief and so it's it's sort of like that the end of the day kids are asleep and in bed that's my time to sort of just debrief and. Mm-hmm. Either talk about the day or what's been on my mind that week. So my esteemed co-host, Joel, who is not here, he, he had a family issue to attend to. But in, in talking about our podcast, that is something he always comes back to, that he wants our podcast to be sort of like a time capsule for his children and for his grandchildren to one day look back on and listen to and think, oh man, Grandpa Joel was... He was hip or, you know, he knew what he was talking about when it came to, you know, whatever issue it might be. So, yeah, similar concept where your words are being recorded for posterity. Yeah. You have a longer, I guess, longer term vision of where this is going to be. And if anybody happens to stumble upon it and find value in those words, then that's great. But I think that some may be on the path towards creating a podcast, maybe for fame and glory or whatever that may hold or whatever their initial intentions are. However, mine is, it's really for me and for my family. It just so happens to be public. That's so cool. I love that. Because for me, starting a podcast, I was a consumer of podcasts. I have all these podcasts that I listen to. And at a certain point, I thought, I want to be a creator. I want to share. I want to put my two cents into the podcasting world for whatever that is. And, and when Joel started mentioning, you know, recording for posterity for his grandkids, for his kids, I thought, yeah, when I have children, that'll be awesome. But now I do have a child. I have a daughter. Yeah. Congrats <laughs> <And> on that. <laughs> thank you. She just turned one. Gosh. That time flies. It, it really does. And, and so now the ironic thing is I, I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to adopt that mentality of this is for my daughter, my grandkids. But now because I have a daughter, it's harder to podcast. Yeah. So maybe what's your take on that? Like, how, how has having children affected your ability to podcast, to edit, to publish? It definitely, they take the priority. And right. one of the things that even before I started podcasting and 
it was just my son before we had our second child. I had to find time for the extra things that I wanted to do, one of which is going to the gym. And prior to children, my gym sessions were regularly after work. So Monday through Fridays, sometimes Saturdays, I would go in after work and that would be my time to work out. Now it would be very unfair for my children, maybe even your daughter, if after you get off work to just head off and go do your own thing mm-hmm. while they're still waiting at home. Right. And they're awake. So I find that my pockets of time are now when they're asleep, whether either it's at night or really early in the morning. Mm-hmm. So my gym schedules start pretty much 4 a.m. Uh, I'm an early riser, and yeah. wow, <laughs> I don't get to bed uh, much later or much earlier either. So after work, we that's pretty much dedicated to the kids. Uh, there was a little time where I would be consumed by my phone, whether it's social media or YouTube or whatever the case may be, and I had to take a step back. After my wife had mentioned, like, hey, you're kind of on your phone a lot. So when I get home, I try to put all devices down and 100% focus is either on them and what they're doing or trying to have a conversation with my wife. And then once they're asleep, that's my time to either go out and record something if I have the energy to do so or edit something. There's always some something to do for the podcast. But another thing that I, I come from a manufacturing like work world, so ma- maximizing my time and productivity is something that is always on the forefront of my thought process. So I record episodes in advance and I have currently episodes out till mid-January. So I release every Monday and it's on a schedule um, through my website. I just set 4 a.m. on Monday, upload, and then the next one and the next one and the next one uh, following Mondays. Where it becomes a problem is when I have a really good one that I want to release early then I have to go through and change all the episode numbers and change it. it. It becomes a little bit of a workload. So I try not to schedule out too far, but I keep a lot of episodes like in a folder ready for upload. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to do it too in advance. Um, and I do mine too, but I schedule mine for Friday at uh, about 6 a.m. So it makes it easier to schedule. Then I don't have to think about it. Yeah, You just log it and it's there. But uh, yeah, so... It takes me about a week to edit. When the podcast airs, so when it goes live, I'm actually two episodes ahead of that, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. I have two, like, <laughs> slugged yeah. when one airs, um, when I have time. I'm always curious about that, too, because that was another thing. Editing, I needed to, and I was listening to your guys' podcast where you talk about different teaching methods in schools and how your your co-host, he's, I don't know if he's been teaching longer. Oh, yeah, a lot longer. He's probably heard every single name under the sun for, well, I mean, I'll just throw out random names, but like for the, the, the Jarvis method and then the Cambridge, uh, whatever technique mm-hmm. for teaching children. Well, in manufacturing, the current flavor is lean manufacturing and cutting all waste. So mm-hmm. wasted movement, wasted processes and wasted, like there's eight wastes and certain things like that, that you can look at and assess. So I tried to take the same stance when looking at my podcast. Editing is a big waste for me. I don't have the time to do it. So I needed to now look, is there equipment I can buy that can do that for me? So I, with my wife's 
you know, we're talking about it. We invested in a mixer that handles the compression, the EQ, oh. and yeah, so, some of the, the big three that you always have to do yeah. when you're editing manually. Yeah. As well as the noise gate. And so I need to invest in it. <laughs> oh my God. So it handles those three things that are the major, major things for me. And then it has a couple other little tricks that help me with my either over the phone podcast or whatever it may be. So yeah, I, I take, like I said, it takes me a week because I have to steal time. Usually late at night or if the baby's taking a nap, I steal moments to edit. So it takes me about a week, you know, an, an hour of, or an hour and a half. It ends up being like three, four hours of editing. So, but I also will insert like pop culture clips or music yeah. or whatever. And that's one of the things I don't do that I like about your podcast. Like when you'll make like a, a, like a quip or a joke or something and insert, insert <laughs> reference here. That's what she said. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I was totally thinking it and then you put it in there and it's like, okay. I see where we're going here. That made my day. Thank you. Because I, I, I do this work. I'm like, does anyone even notice? <laughs> do. Thank you. That's like a, it's a subtle humor that I, I picked up on it because. Thank you. We may make the jokes and, or even mimic the voices and it might fall on deaf ears because however many millennials we have out there that <laughs> are coming across this stuff, they don't get right. the humor from our generation. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So this is. Maybe an impertinent question, but how old are you? I am however old I am if I was born in 83. I'm always asked that question. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to yeah. say 38, 37. I don't know. Okay, so, <laughs> oh, God. I was born in 83. I'm so. 35. Okay. So maybe you're like 36, 37. Okay, maybe. We can agree on that. Okay, so we're in the same age range here then. Okay. Yeah. But you have two kids. You have a son and a daughter, and your daughter is how old? She's one and like a few months. Okay, so my daughter just turned one. And I, I just want to say, when I was listening to an episode you you published a couple week, weeks ago, totally broke my heart. I think the episode was titled, My Daughter Had an MRI. Yes. And it sounded like it all worked out in the end. I had recorded an episode prior, and I'm a person that, I well, our daughter, she ended up, just to give a quick, TLDR for everybody who doesn't quite know. Our daughter had been having trouble with bowel movements, and we thought, well, is this something that she's eating? So we go through everything under the sun, coming up, pulling straws, thinking, is it a gluten indeficiency? Like, is it any, like, what can it be? And come to find out, it was really just hard stools. Mm -hmm. So the doctor ended up prescribing Miralax, which is a diuretic for infants, and pretty much told us, you can give her like a whole cap full of this stuff, mix it with her bottle, and it'll be good to go. We pretty much want to flush and detox everything that's in there, and not to get too graphic, but pretty much just cleanse and start anew. And so we're watching videos on this stuff. As parents, you mean, you got to see a lot of things that you never really thought you're going to sit down after, after dinner and watch and educate yourself, but it's important. So when we go to the specialist, because she's also not meeting, and I, though they're called milestones, they're like really rough for everybody. There's got to be a base medium for like when kids should be walking or attempting to. And given that she really wasn't, it was cause for us to question, well, why? And so the specialist, she gave her like a once over and noticed a tiny dimple on her lower back. And this could have been a number of things. And she's telling my wife these things. I'm at work. My wife is down in Santa Barbara at the specialist. And then she now has this news that 
it could be a tethering of the spine, which is when the lower portion of the spinal cavity does not fully close, the cord with which is within the spinal cavity is exposed and can tether itself via cartilage or skin or fatty tissue, or however it tethers itself to the lower back. And this causes a dimpling in the skin, discoloration of the skin, two of the things with which she had. In some cases, it can cause like a tail to grow, and I'm thinking way back in medieval times, it could have been that, and your baby probably wasn't a demon. Right. <laughs> uh, it could be hair on the lower back, and in the scariest of scenarios, it could be a tiny hole, which is an opening for the outside world and bacteria to that spinal cord. Yeah. So if it is that, I always urge people just go straight to the doctor or the, or the ER, wherever you got to go to. Like, don't just second guess it because there's all kinds of things that could go wrong. And so they pretty much had told us in our follow up meeting with them that either you're going to have to have your daughter undergo an MRI or paraphrasing here, roll the dice and see what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're not willing to gamble with our daughter and her future so we pretty much put our own emotions aside however hard it was to to make that decision and decided ultimately to get an MRI so I had recorded that explaining everything like what was going to happen but I felt it was premature to to say and not have answers for people until I knew the results so we did go and they had to put her under she was very loopy after Afterwards, my wife, you know, the car is not the biggest, but moms will make it a point to, to fit where they need to so that they can sit with their little one yeah. when they need them. And so we're driving back from Santa Barbara, and pretty much my wife set up the spare room. She's like, we're going to sleep in this room together, and it's a 24-hour watch to make sure everything is okay. But she was up and at him and walking around and hmm. wanting to eat and play. We're like, you just had an MRI. You were just put under but even then, when they described it to us, the anesthesiologist said that it's really just a deep sleep. They don't put the mask fully on the child. They kind of just waft it uh, maybe a fist distance from the nose and the mouth until the baby goes to sleep. They also had told us, I mean, fortunately, she didn't like, she wasn't wailing when she saw the doctors because that would have made it even more difficult. Uh, but she only cried for a little bit, looked around, got the anesthesia, and then took a nap. Uh, everything seems to be going great now. They gave us a call, I want to say a couple days later, and told us there's no need for surgery. So mm -hmm. we were very, very fortunate for that because our son was born premature, 22 days he spent in the NICU. Oh, wow. yeah. He was born two months premature. And so we actually had to, they don't, they don't necessarily do this on the Central Coast because, I mean, we're not too busy here, but he mm -hmm. was born in Southern California. And so we actually had to be discharged from the hospital. And he had to stay. And because my wife had a C-section, she couldn't drive. So she had to stay home. So for those 22 days, I think she saw him once. So I would make it a point to go there and drop off milk and sit with him for 10 minutes, then go to work and then come back and see him again after work and sit with him for a little bit longer and then go home and try to do this shuttling service. And so my wife kind of in her own mind was saying, you know, like I'll make you a deal. Just make it easy for our daughter. I'll take whatever you got to throw at me, whether it's, you know, a, a, a horrible recovery after a C-section or whether it's whatever yeah. it may be. Uh, she was willing to take that burden. And so when we were dealt this hand, she was thinking to herself, come on, like, 
do we really? Is this what we have to do? Yeah. Like again. Yeah. So that's a t- that's totally then just amazing that everything worked out with your daughter. No surgery required. And yeah, yeah, we were very fortunate for that. Wow. <laughs> so you, you mentioned that you had to go back to work and had a taxi and everything. So you didn't get any time off. That's the thing. I I guess I could have. Uh-huh. It was a really unique company that I was working for at the time. Mm-hmm. To put it delicately, because I don't like to burn bridges, but they right. were they rank amongst the top most unique companies that I've worked for (laughs) in my life. And it was known that you could take time off, but you were kind of also made aware that you shouldn't. It was frowned upon. Yeah. Wow. And so when our daughter was born, the company I'm working for now, really great. They would be the the polar opposite on the spectrum. Um, I took the full six weeks, I believe. I pretty much told them, yeah, I'm going to spend that time at home. My other coworker, he recently had his second child. His first one, he only took a couple weeks or maybe a couple days just to kind of, okay, everybody's home now and I'm going to get back to work. They're only this little once. Yeah. And I encourage and urge everyone, if you have the time, take the time. Yeah. Six weeks isn't enough. It is not. And he, and it's not a cakewalk either. No. <laughs> like, you're working. Yeah. <laughs> you're up because you're working in now shifts. Like, when mom's got to sleep, she's got to sleep. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be up. And whatever that shift is between the two of you, that's what it is. And if you have a colicky baby or a baby who just doesn't want to lay down and sleep, they want to be held all the time, well, saddle up. You're going to be holding that baby all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I took I, – I'm a teacher. And so I had tons of time. I was off from November to February. Wow. It was amazing. So basically, I think it, I think it ended up being eight weeks plus the three weeks of winter break. So it was like 11 weeks that I got off. That's nice. And oh, <laughs> it was amazing <laughs> to spend all that time with my daughter and see her. It's crazy. Even just in that three-month period, change, develop, grow in that span of time. From being this little teeny tiny baby girl to like almost maxing out on her bassinet. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Really quickly. And, and now she's one. Yeah. She's sleeping through the night? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it depends. Some nights, yeah. But so for last night, for example, she woke up at 1.30 and didn't go down till 3.30. Wow. So mom and I were taking turns. We would take naps, trade, wake up, trade. Oh, man. And she's like wide awake. Yeah. That could be one of the toughest things. Like we've oh, yeah. just reached the point where now our two kids can sleep in the same room together. Because okay. our son, he co-slept with us for a very long time. And I think it was because he was just comfortable sleeping. Mm-hmm. And we even had his crib in our room. So even when he was in his own crib, mm-hmm. he was still in the room with us. Our daughter, I think it's different with your second. She was in her crib and in her <laughs> own room pretty quick. And she also, I don't think she liked co-sleeping with us. Uh-huh. Like she was all about, I want my own space. So I don't want to sleep with you guys. So she had, she was in her own room pretty quickly. And then our son, because she would wake up sporadically, mm-hmm. uh, we put him in the guest room so that he can sleep on his own and not be in a, disturbed. Mm-hmm. Now that, I, I want to say maybe a month, like two or three months ago, my wife was like, I think I'm going to try putting them in the room together. And there's no rule book. Like no. We're kind of just talking to each other, like, should we try this? And 
I'm shrugging my shoulders like, your guess is really yeah. as good as mine at this point. I think that's a good point. There's no rule book. Yeah. And I don't want either one of us to seem like what we're saying is the way. Exactly. Whatever works for you as a parent, do it. It's it's your child. It's your family. It's your dynamic. And you need, need to do whatever works for you. Um, so, for example, we've never let our baby sleep in our bed. Um, we, she sleeps in her crib. But her crib is in our room. Okay. And she's one. And people are like, oh, she's not in her own room yet? I'm like, no, because I'm too tired. Like, in the morning when she wakes up, I just want to, like, like a zombie walk over and grab her out of, the, out of the crib. Like, take a few steps to the crib and yeah. pull her out. For convenience. For convenience for me. But that works for me. And um, I can see for for you guys, yeah, your your son sounded like he was comfortable sleeping with you. And your daughter was more comfortable in her crib. There's no right answer. It's like, whatever works for you, whatever works for the kid. Yeah. Like, we try to pay as much attention to them and what works for them. Mm-hmm. I think that the the one probably outside factor you always get is probably from grandparents. Grandparents, oh, yeah. they know how <laughs> it should be done. You And however you're doing it, you shouldn't be doing it that way. <laughs> exactly. And you got to love them for it because it's like, again, probably why I'm recording my own podcast on the matter is so that I don't become that grandfather that's like, you guys should do it this way. And it's like, well, you said back then. <laughs> This is how you did it, so I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. Dad. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, there's that's definitely no one right way. I think ethically, I mean, as long as your kids are, are safe and healthy and happy, whether they co-sleep, whether they sleep in your own room, or they transition to their own room very early, I think every kid, they, they kind of let you know what they want to do. Yeah. And our son, he, he enjoyed, I, at least I think, he enjoyed sleeping in the room with us for a very long time. And then once our daughter was going to be coming into this world, it was sort of like, yeah, I'm sorry, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have we have a new person coming to live with us. Yeah. So things have to change. And trying to find that new rhythm with a new shift in the paradigm. Yeah, because your paradigm shifts with a second kid. Because I only have one, and that seems hard. <laughs> How, is it harder? How much harder, I guess, is it with two? I think it multiplies. I think basic math applies. That if yeah. one kid is hard, two kids are twice as hard. I think that. <laughs> but it's also like you always have that one person, I think, that it's like, oh, my baby just sleeps through the whole night. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. thanks for that. <laughs> I don't know what you're trying to get yeah. out of me. But, or, yeah, my kid was potty trained and, you know, doing acrobatics at one and a half and it's like huh. oh, okay that's wow. cool too <laughs> i don't yeah. think it's a competition because eventually everybody reaches the same level right who, however they hit these milestones but my wife and i were just talking about this a few nights ago with two children it does seem very difficult mm-hmm. and when we look back to just the one we think yeah. to ourselves that probably would have been cake right now a cakewalk <laughs> and people with three kids probably look at us like, yeah, you only have two. That's no problem at all. And, yeah. you know, then I think that all parents look at adults with no children and think, well, what are you doing? Like, why don't you want to have live this hard life with us? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, know I have some friends who are, you know, my age and they're childless. Like, in, the, in, in one part of my mind, there's some jealousy. Like, <laughs> you're totally independent and can do whatever you want. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, but you're totally missing out. Yeah. And all of the joy and just the surprises and everything that comes with being a parent. But one thing that's really helped 
um, lately, it's been a stressor and a blessing. So I guess a blessing and a curse is that my wife quit her job to raise, to be home full time with our baby. Yeah. To be with our daughter. And uh, it's stressful because I don't make enough money to pay for everything. So somehow it'll work out. Yeah. Um, you got to magically make it happen. <laughs> magically, I'm going to have to work more hours. I'm encouraging her to figure out ways to make money because I don't make enough money to pay for everything. But it'll happen. But at the same time, like now I can do the podcast with you. I can have more time to do things. Because before, when she was working, it was like, okay, I'm off work. I have to race home, take the baby so she can go to work. Yeah. And then I won't see her till nighttime, until basically it's time for Frankie, our daughter, to go to bed. So it's this kind of like ships in the night, trading the baby, you're going to work, I'm coming home, kind of a, a deal. So that was stressful. So it, there's never a time where it's just like, ah, oh, it's so easy now. Yeah. And it's just it's just trade-offs. And that definitely made itself apparent when our first, uh, when our son was born, that we were able to do those things. And when baby number two came, mm-hmm. uh, things like the podcast and, and all the projects that I would like to do, though my wife was a stay-at-home mom, uh, they kind of went away because there's so much more to do. You right. now have another newborn in the house that you have to you have to watch. Plus, you have a toddler now mm-hmm. who is just trying to lay claim to the world already. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we have to play man-to-man defense. And we, we kind of did that too early on, the changing of the guard, so to speak. And one of the things that I always try to have a conversation with people about is how important it is to maintain that level of conversation yes. in your relationship or your marriage with the other person because you can very easily slip into work mode mm-hmm. and now your marriage is now a job and you trade yeah. the baby it's sort of like a high and by mm-hmm. scenario and you find yourself like not knowing the person anymore so making it key to to sit down and talk with each other or to sort of have a date night or like for myself I like to have dinner together all the time like mm-hmm. we just Let's sit down. Let's have dinner. Even if our son doesn't want to eat anything, it's like, just sit at the table with us then. Like, mm-hmm. let's all just enjoy this time together because it's fleeting. Eventually, we'll be empty nesters. I mean, long, hopefully long, long down the road. Yeah. And these dinner times will just be a, a distant memory. But uh, making making the time for that, I think, is really important and key to, to maintaining a healthy family. And so your wife actually... Um to the opposite of my wife. So my wife quit her job to be home all the time. Your wife actually got a job. Yeah, she recently got a job. She felt like it was time. Mm-hmm. And though, because again, it, it's tough. It's tough living off one income. You yeah. you really do find the ways to stretch that dollar. And the hardest part for me is coworkers that want to go out and grab a burger or Chick-fil-A or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I really don't have that five bucks to just blow on a sandwich. Right. But I can spend five dollars on food that might last two or three days. That makes a little bit more sense. Or a fifth <laughs> of a box of diapers. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, and then trying to be savvy with it and find them the cheapest diapers in town, which we still think is Costco. It might be somewhere else. That's what I mean, we do. Yeah, you gotta buy those diapers in bulk. What yep. the hard part is is when the baby's in the transition phase or it's like, oh, is this, are they going to use this whole box? Yeah. Am I going to be stuck with half a box? Yeah. And then I have to go buy the next size up. So you try to like buy within reason. Yeah. So we actually miscalculated before we switched over to the fours, I think. Yeah. 
and uh, yeah, Frankie was wearing the threes, a little too <laughs> snug, and uh, she she pooped, and it just came swirling out the sides. I'm like, okay, time for fours. <laughs> Yeah, and those threes just are just there now, <laughs> unused. And that's the thing too. Like I, I encourage people to always like have a have a baby shower. There's a coworker of mine who mm-hmm. he's going to be having his first uh, child. They're having a boy, and I mm-hmm. asked him, "Are you guys going to have a baby shower?" I don't know. Maybe it's like do, do it. it. You need one. Yeah, it's free stuff. Bring a gift and a box <laughs> of diapers. Yeah, it's like you could get burp cloths. Those are worth their weight in gold. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know how many burp cloths we had gone through, yeah. diapers, because they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. If someone comes through with an Amazon Prime membership for a year for you, you're set. Because I think you get free diapers for a year. You do. And, well, no one came through with that for us. But I always say, <laughs> maybe, you have, maybe you'll get lucky. And then, then you'll uh, know you hit pay dirt when you get that Amazon Prime membership. We actually have three boxes of size 5, I think, diapers <laughs> in the garage over here. And, yeah, so it's like, we got that at the baby shower. Oh, that's nice. So it's like, sweet, when we get to fives, we have three boxes already. (laughs) Did you guys have any issues with diapers with, like, your child's skin being sensitive to maybe a certain cut of diaper or anything like that? No, we never had any issues. Yeah, we did. Did you guys? Yeah. I think it was pampers. We don't do pampers. We do huggies. It was like a, just irritated the skin? I think so. I think there was like a rash or chafing or something that occurred. And then we also tried to go cheap went on a road trip and mm. we went and bought target <laughs> brand diapers and you know if people have success with target brand diapers then more power to you but we did not it felt like oh. those diapers were like water soluble they, they, they just, just disintegrated oh <laughs> it was no. like did we wrap you in tissue paper yeah this is this is crazy <laughs> the funny mistakes that you make mm-hmm. but again you know you hope to what are you going to be? Are you going to be Huggies or Pampers or Chevy or Ford? Yeah. Like, we, we ended up landing with Huggies. And we had someone buy us Sesame Street diapers. We're so grateful to you, whoever you are, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but what I did not like about them, they were super cute. They had all the characters on there and whatnot. But what I did not like was they didn't have the strip. Oh, okay. You so know, you the tell. indicator. Yeah. So we had to, like, look and smell. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, I hate these diapers. So we just stuck with Costco because it has that simple indicator yeah. if they peed or not. <laughs> Super easy. Yeah. So we're going to forego the cute ones and go strictly affordable and practical. <laughs> yeah. We need indicators and the least amount of time you spend smelling, smell checking. Exactly. I think the better. Or like sticking your finger in to check for poop. <laughs> And your finger goes directly into poop? Oh, jeez. Yeah, I've never done that. I mean... <laughs> that happened once. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I think my wife's had more of the more interesting stories with that. So you never got pooped on or anything? No. Uh, I mean, knock on wood. You no, know, I think at any age, there's always the opportunity for that to happen. So, uh, But no, not myself. Um, there was one time we were like visiting. When we were living in Southern California, we came out here to visit. And there was like... What's referred to as a blowout. Yeah. <laughs> where the contents don't remain within the confines of the diaper. Yeah. And we were visiting from Southern California out here, and we didn't really have our utility set up. Yeah. So the washable mats and everything. And my solution was, let's just hose them off. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was really bad. I mean, you when you have to cut your child out of a onesie... <sighs> And 
Yeah, it was just, yeah. So my wife has more of those stories that she's experienced. Again, yeah. when you're a stay-at-home mom, I mean, it's like more power to them because I used to think, and this was when I was very young, mm-hmm. I used to think being a stay-at-home parent's got to be the most cake job, right? Ever. That's got to be the life. I'd want to be a stay-at-home dad. No, no, it's the hardest thing. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> There's no breaks. Yeah. My wife is like, you can't, like, she sends me jokes on Instagram and stuff. There's no using the restroom, like, with the door closed. Mm-hmm. It's always open, and kids are always walking up to you and bringing you stuff and interrupting you. You don't get a second to yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, us, when we're at work, I mean, I don't know how it is at the school if you guys, as teachers, also work off the bell system. It's like, oh, yeah. oh this is my lunch, too. Yep. Uh, we have buzzers at work, so we know when our breaks and our lunches are, and that is a uh, segmented segmented amount of time yeah. that we get. You kids don't give you that. No, you, it's defined. Here's the bell. Go pee. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, here's the next bell. Go eat. Yeah. And uh, there's because we have a contract, we, we belong to a union, it's uninterrupted. No yeah. one can bother you. But, yeah, when you're a mom or dad at home, you know, just, I mean, just... The idea of going out and just grabbing lunch mm-hmm. is so much more of a, I would say, an adventure when you have children and you're a stay-at-home parent <laughs> because you got to get them dressed and then you've got to get them ready to go out and you've got to make sure you have snacks and bottles and diapers and change of clothes even. Mm-hmm. And then when you're finally ready to get out the door, oh, one of them has to go pee. So now you got to yep. do the process over. And that's just to go get a burger or a sandwich or a salad or something like that. Whereas, yeah, yeah, it, it is a tough job. And I, I mean, I thank my wife for all the work that she had done raising our two children. Mm-hmm. And we're both going to have to find a new rhythm once she gets back into the work world and see how we can best raise our children with that new dynamic. Yeah. So what I thought was interesting was your wife mentioned that she didn't have to do this, that she wanted to do it. Like she felt like for her own growth or what have you, she wanted to go back to work. Because when we made the move out here, the idea was that we weren't going to put our son into like a daycare. Mm-hmm. We didn't We didn't like that. I We had him in a daycare for a little bit when we were living down south. And every time I would go pick him up, it looked like he had been crying all day long. Oh. So it, it's like, who better to raise your kids than yourself? Yeah. I really think that I don't know why our society has shifted because to bring up a conversation that is not to be had within polite company per your podcast and <laughs> yeah. within an echo chamber, I don't get why parents, mothers or fathers, can't financially be able to stay home and raise their children at least until they're one or of age to go to like a, a preschool or pre-K. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Because those are really defining years for your children. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things for me to, to kind of see was co-workers of mine while living in, down south who were getting pictures of their kids from the babysitter, from the daycare. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's really sad that it's not you that's spending yeah. all the time with them. It's sad that this is the the, the world, I guess, that we kind of live in. It's a, it is really a luxury to be able to do something like that. And I think that if, if you can make the sacrifices, you should make the sacrifices to do it. And that's where we've come to. That was put, I think, in my wife's heart. I'm very, I'm a religious person. You might know that from the podcast. But yeah. I do believe that was put on her heart to as a desire to pursue. And I feel like if that was a desire placed on her heart, that our ends will be met one way or another. And 
it's the struggle is real though, and it used to not be. I mean, I mean, I don't want to say that there was a time when it wasn't there wasn't a struggle, but it used to be that yeah, dad would go to work, mom would stay home, mm-hmm. and she could raise the kids. And I think there there was a generation where that was looked down upon, and it was like, no, forget that. Let's go get a career and put the kids in daycare. Yeah. Not that it, I don't want to say at all that women shouldn't do that because my wife worked for 15 years at Costco. But at the same time, I don't think that anyone should look down on housewives either. Or a house husband. Or a house husband, my exactly. Dad was a stay-at-home dad. Not to be, not so. to be sexist. Yeah. People who are able to stay home with their kids to raise them, that is a full-time job. And when I have summer, summer break or winter break or you know spring break or Thanksgiving break, I was home with our daughter. And it, it's like, I can't get anything done. I'm taking care of this kid all freaking day. But now we live in a world where you have to have both. It, it's almost like you have to have both parents working. Yeah. To make ends meet. And it's a shame that the reality is it's almost like two-thirds of the check easily just to have someone watch your child. Right. So where does that make sense? So that's why my wife ultimately decided it makes more sense financially for me to just not work. Yeah, you're working to pay someone else to watch your child. And it's like, yeah. I mean, depending on whatever your income is, I mean, there's so many variables to, to, to have to factor and calculate. But yeah. And when we took a hard look at it, a lot of our money was going to like just fluff, I guess. Mm-hmm. So eating out, entertainment, like movies and mm-hmm. buying DVDs and all these other subscription-based things. Yeah. And we thought to ourselves, can we not do this because we can't give up that stuff? Mm-hmm. It's not like I, we can't make the water bill. We can't right. make the mortgage. I mean, we can make those, but is McDonald's going to be the reason why right. Why our children have to be in daycare? And again, some people can swing it. Other people can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not to say one is right over the other. If you can, then that's awesome. But yeah, the struggle, I definitely feel you on that one. It's been a, it's been a very long three years, much longer for my wife. Yeah, and given the ability to say that it wasn't something that she needed, but more something that she wanted, I think is also a luxury in itself. Because had she waited till, because she's currently working on completing her bachelor's, mm-hmm. had she waited to complete that and now get to the point where it's like, I have no school to do mm-hmm. with my free time. The kids are now older and in in school or daycare or, or pre K, I should say. I have to do something now with this free time. And now feel under the gun to take anything as opposed to being able to sit back and say, well, I'm fine saying no to this job. I'm fine saying no to this offer and I'll just wait it out and take what I want. I think it's something that not a lot of people are are afforded. Right. And it's something that I think she mentioned that um, (laughs) maybe your daughter will one day look back and be like, well, how come, you know, my brother had you all day? And yeah, (laughs) but I think we as parents have to also um, be careful to take care of ourselves, our mental, emotional needs. And I think you mentioned earlier, we also need to take care of our relationship as well. So it doesn't fall into like a rep or become a job. You know, my wife and I, we never go to the movies. We, if we go on a, a quote unquote date, it's all garden with the baby, <laughs> you yeah. know, or something like that, or sushi, but we bring the baby. We don't really have, date nights where it's just she and I going to the movies on our own anymore. That's tough. And we, being back in this area, it's hard to find. I want to be careful with what I say, but 
I mean, just to be blunt, like someone you trust to watch your children. Yeah. And we trust our grandma mm -hmm. for sure. But it's there's not a lot of people, at least in our circle, where we can just ring them up on the phone and say, hey, can you watch the kids for a couple hours? So we do have to plan a long game and maximize that time. As much as a movie buff as I am, I love going to the movies. When I was a kid, it felt like almost every time a, a movie was released yeah. like a like part of the you know there's always the fall releases and the winter releases my brother and i we were always at the movies with our parents mm -hmm. so we movies were a big part of growing up and that's something that we don't do but we're now allotted things like disney plus netflix <laughs> uh amazon prime and hulu so we still get movies now we try to invest in the home with a, you know a nice sound system or something like that but when we do get a date night we we do prefer like you said like the olive garden or a sushi for sure someplace yeah. where we can sit down and and enjoy a quiet evening having a conversation because mm -hmm. our kids they take center stage yeah our son he will progressively talk louder and louder and louder until he is the loudest voice in the land and our daughter <laughs> she likes to follow in suit and though she doesn't have the the vocabulary yet right she'll just make random noises the babbling yeah adorable babbling <laughs> yeah but she gets louder and louder and louder and all the time it's like we're trying to have a conversation about like how was your day how was your day and in one year my wife is hearing our daughter mama 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 mm -hmm. and then our son is like do 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 like doing really <laughs> weird stuff really yeah. weird stuff and it's like you know it's easy to fall into that i'll talk to you when the kids are asleep but mm -hmm. then you get tired and then you don't have that conversation so yeah totally and uh oh i'm sorry how old is your son he is two. He's oh, no, two. no 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 sorry sorry oh. sorry sorry four your son's four yeah so our daughter's talking our daughter's gonna be two and our son is four okay and so your son i think you mentioned um i love this episode by the way um you and a buddy who was didn't have any children we're talking about losing does your son play games is he in sports does he do anything not in any sports yet mm -hmm. but i did buy and my wife will say that i bought it for myself but i bought the nintendo <laughs> switch oh, there with the uh, mario maker uh -huh. and i was thinking to myself oh it'd be cool like i'll make him levels mm -hmm. and teach him the mechanics of the game so i'll just make him really simple stuff like this is how you jump or this is an enemy Little did I know, he picked it up really quickly and was able to wow. just dominate the game. But he has lost at a couple of levels, and he gets really frustrated. And it's like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And even like when he gets frustrated, like when learning to dress himself and not being able to put a sock on, just that feeling of frustration, like, I should be able to do this, I can't do this. And now frustration is outweighing maybe logic and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the movement mechanisms in your body. And now you can't function because your brain is enraged and your body's now not responding. So just trying to take those moments to to calm him down and tell him it's okay. In the game, pick a different level. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says you have to play this level. You can play a different one. Or hand it to me and you try. And it's like, well, sometimes I will if it looks like it's a fun level. Or I can try to spin it and say, well, you pick this level. Mm -hmm. You play it. I'm watching you. If you don't want to play it, that's fine. We can play something else, or I'll pick my own level to play. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he, I can't beat it for you. There's, 
I don't know what kind of sense of victory that would be, just to beat it, just to beat it. So the frustration then also comes from feeling incapable of completing something or doing something. Yeah. And so whether that's putting on your pants, tying your shoe, or playing a level. So as a teacher, I think that's really good. When kids are frustrated, maybe not to the point where they're like super angry, but when they're frustrated, <laughs> they're challenged, Yeah, that's where growth occurs. And that's where they're able to um, come up with new strategies or trying different ways to accomplish something. I'll have a lot of students who will just give up. Yeah, They've learned helplessness. They've learned like, oh, I'm faced with an obstacle, I just give up. And so teaching children to have great, having perseverance is, um, for me, really critical as a teacher, but hasn't seen that as a parent now as well. And I love that you were talking about um, losing, or the potential of one day losing to your son in something. Yeah. Has that happened, or are you... No, not yet. So the one game that I have introduced to him that he seems to be able to play pretty well is Connect Four. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. We tried Shoots and Ladders. That's a foot, like, okay, that's one of those games where you can get stuck in, like, in a loop for, yeah. like, an hour. <laughs> and that's all RNG. Like, you're relying on, you're relying on that spinner. Yeah. So, I don't know what the skill base is for None. that game. I'm per- yeah, I'm, maybe there's somebody who knows how to flick that spinner. Maybe. Just right. But, with Connect Four, uh, teaching him, like, the fundamentals of, it's just, you put one piece and then I put one piece. Mm-hmm. It's not, this isn't a let's stack them up as fast as we can. That's not the premise of this. Trying to teach him the difference of a game and then a toy. Right. You have tons of toys, but this this is a game. Strategizing, thinking ahead. Yeah. Versus um, Candyland where you pull a card and it's a <laughs> color. Yeah. So with Connect Four, I, I try to start like super simple because the age is, is pretty accurate. Like I think it's like seven to whatever. Like whatever age kids yeah. are putting pieces of toys in their mouth. So <laughs> I had to try to introduce them to the game of this is how it works mm-hmm. put a piece in then i put a piece in and then every time i would get four i would tell him see i won and this is how i won right so then he would be like oh i got four and then i would have to tell him well yes you have four colors but they have to be in a row yeah. vertically horizontally diagonally and i use these words with him i'm not trying to make up words like kitty words that he can understand it's like i'll try to use the real words that he would hear growing up so but yeah i think that you know at some point there'll be a time where he he will just beat me but i do play for keeps like i don't i don't throttle my gameplay Mm -hmm. because i wasn't i didn't have gameplay throttled when i was playing with my dad right uh he played for keeps and then he would also kind of like as we got older like poke jabs at us too like we would take our time trying to think about what we're gonna do Uh and he would just say okay waiting on you we got all day or oh wow <laughs> mess with your mind yeah you're trying to play a head game or playing dominoes and he's like i don't know why you're looking at the pieces they haven't changed since the last time he looked it's That's like funny can we just take a minute here to play the game like let me concentrate uh, i'm a, like i'm a child here you know that's funny <laughs> well i was raised by my grandparents and my grandfather played for keeps <laughs> didn't give an inch but he also cheated Oh, geez. So not only was he doing his best <laughs> to win, he was also cheating. And I didn't really find out until I was older. I'm like, you're f-ing cheating. <laughs> so then that was actually like an important lesson for me. Like, okay, there are rules, yeah, you know, for playing this game. But some people cheat. Yeah. They'll cheat the game, they'll cheat the system, whatever, to get ahead to win. Our grandfather, he did the same. Like, we would play Rummy, which uh-huh. is a card game. And 
he would always lean back and like look around and try to see mm-hmm. what you had in your hand. And we did, we realized it early on because our dad told us like, <laughs> don't let him look at your cards. Like he's he's uh, looking at your cards. I mean, that was a really important lesson. Like, okay, so I not only have to play by the rules because I don't, I don't want me to cheat. And he wasn't doing it maliciously. He was being funny, I guess. Yeah. Enjoying not only winning, but also <laughs> making it worse by cheating. But I, I do like the other approach that I think it was Paul that he had when we were talking about it. And he had said that he likes to take like a 50-50 approach. Okay. Yeah. Where he'll throttle his gameplay. He'll give his son some wins and he'll also give his son some losses. Mm-hmm. That way he keeps him engaged throughout. Because if right. it's just met with loss after loss after loss, much like Mario Maker, my son is just like, I can't beat this, gets frustrated. Right. Can you do it for me? At least with a game, like we're engaged in conversation and I can I can coach him through whatever he might be feeling during the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure there are some games where it's like, they can't just keep losing over and over and over again. There was a, I remember I was out to breakfast one time and this kid, he was with his parents playing tic-tac-toe. Mm-hmm. And he lost and it was like he couldn't handle it. He was starting to shut like down. Meltdown. Yeah, he was going to cry very loud mm-hmm. in that restaurant. Yeah. And it's like, this is just tic-tac-toe. And this kid has grown, too. Like, he's not a little, little kid. So wow, a lesson might have been missed mm-hmm. in that case. But not. it's not like you totally missed out. You could still teach them about mm-hmm. wins and losses. And I think that when I was... I don't know if you ever played, like, recreational basketball, like, growing up. I'm so bad at sports. <laughs> I am not at all athletic. <laughs> I had to do something. Like, my my dad, he told my brother and I, like, you, you kids can't stay home all day. So you have to do something. Pick something. And he gave us options, like karate or after-school programs. And ultimately, we landed on recreational basketball back when the Pomo had their, their rec center. And we played that. And I remember playing a team where they were sitting outside after a loss and their hands, like their heads in their hands, they're crying because of loss. Now we're all of the age where, yeah, any of us could very easily just cry for losing. It's not like I'm trying to, you know, put them down for it. I mean, at the age, it's something that's common. But I was just thinking to myself, like, why why are we still doing this? It's not as if we showed bad poor sportsmanship. We weren't trash talking out on the court. But one of the things that I remember was that the coach was very hard on them. Yeah. They needed to win. And if they didn't win, it's, it wasn't just a loss. It was They were disappointing everybody for that. So as a teacher working in a school, I see that with our teams. And not necessarily our coaches, but playing other schools. Man, the coaches will sometimes get so animated, they get to, they'll literally be ejected by the ref. <laughs> or parents losing their minds over yeah. a game. That's why like, I won't be scorekeeper. I won't do time. I want some parents screaming at me like, put two seconds back on the clock. Like, whoa, not a big deal, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. chill. Some people take a sports very, very seriously. And I get the competitive nature of things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where the median is. I guess right. I'm not I'm not as well versed on it. I'm pretty sure psychologists and other people are have much better information in that regard. But just finding that balance of at least you played. At least you tried mm-hmm. and just reflect on what you did and try to augment that mm-hmm. to be better next time. Because even a loss is an opportunity to grow. Failure is like one of the greatest teachers. Failure also. Yes, failure most of all. The greatest teacher failure is. But so is winning. Always remember, 
If you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> winning's great. Winning's great. <laughs> so I remember I was not good at sports, but I was good at bowling. And I was in a oh, bowling okay. league. And I remember I got like second place or third place, I forget, but I got a trophy. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, for someone who's not athletic, getting a trophy was nice. <laughs> but I had my own meltdown, like snatching, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory. I won. I got the trophy and I had a meltdown because the trophy had a girl bowler on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I must have been like in the fifth or sixth grade, just having like a, a, a meltdown, basically. I was just freaking out. I'm not a girl and there's a girl on the trophy. Like I should get a trophy with a boy on it. And so instead of being like, okay, I, I won. Clearly I have some level of ability here. I was totally unsportsmanlike. And that was a missed opportunity on my part to grow in that. And another thing I wanted to talk to you about too, um, and I'm so glad you had this discussion on your podcast, was about vaccinations. Okay. Because we just had our daughter vaccinated and she had the second round of her flu vaccination. So she had five shots in one sitting. Yeah. And I didn't go, thank that God. cocktail of a... <laughs> yeah. My wife took our daughter to get the shots because I was at work. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I, I would have been bawling my eyes out. This girl has made me so sensitive. Oh, yeah. I cry for no reason. <laughs> yeah. My son didn't do that for me. Um, <laughs> after our daughter was born, uh-huh. I went to a wedding and I was like, the, it was supposed to be the father-daughter dance. Unfortunately, the father had passed mm. away. And she was dancing with the mother, and then the uncle gets up and walks over and starts mm-hmm. dancing with her. And I'm just yeah. already in my feels like, I can't believe Ooh. this. I don't know this. And the background is like a slideshow going on uh-huh. of her and her dad when they were young. And I was like, oh, man. And I'm telling my wife, and she's like, you have gone soft. <laughs> I'm getting proclaimed just hearing the story, and I exactly. don't even know these people. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, yeah. Oh, kids change you. They totally do. And Yesterday, she went to get her blood drawn to test for, I guess, lead levels. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. So she had to have, you know, blood drawn. So all these painful moments for our daughter. But I love how you took an episode to talk about vaccinations because there are so many people who aren't vaccinating their children based purely on rumors or false information or misinformation, deliberate misinformation sometimes, to dissuade people from vaccinating. People have decided they're not sure if they want to be immune from disease. Your ancestors are saying, I would trade places with you, but I died of measles. Like, oh, if you vaccinate your child, they're going to get autism or yeah, some That's the main. That's the main argument is vaccinations cause autism. And I think that coworkers of mine, we also had this conversation, is what is the length of time historically that something has to happen mm-hmm. before the people in the current time no longer remember why we were doing that to begin with? I mean, there, you can get into a conversation about people who don't even believe that the Holocaust was a thing, which is wild to me. We yeah. won't go down that road. Right. But... There was a reason why people were getting vaccinated. There mm-hmm. was a reason why vaccinations were a necessity mm-hmm. and all of the, the beneficial things that it prevented. And yet people want to look back to, well, there weren't vaccines in the caveman days. Right. But they don't want to look at the life expectancy of people back then or even during the medieval times or how, I mean, recently in my, in my history classes, 
and in discussions with my wife and her history classes we're learning that a plague very easily wiped out you know half a million people a plague mm-hmm. and we don't hear about that now no we have the luxuries of modern medicine and great sanitation yeah. or better sanitation than then and vaccines and yet there's a certain truth to people who can be easily swayed by belief mixed with a little bit of fear. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't get sick, so maybe people just don't get sick anymore. I get sick like once a year, and I don't get flu shots or anything like that. But the flu affects the young and the old. It doesn't really affect us in the middle. So we can be very easily swayed because we think of our own personal experience. Right. But we can't take our experience and all of the the antibodies that we've built up over the years and and this resistance and to, to certain things to a newborn or a toddler. Yeah. They're fresh out into this world. Yeah. They've got none of that. And explaining to people what is actually in a vaccine itself, how just the notion of looking not even that deep into the science and versus trusting um, I, I can't remember the individual's name, but he is widely discredited by all of the scientific community, which is a, a, a great thing. You have a, a community of people that do this research. You write a paper, and you submit it, mm-hmm. and all of your peers review that, and they all discredited vaccines causing autism. But there's such a large movement of people who believe so strongly. And the sad thing is that people also don't educate themselves on what is referred to as herd coverage or herd. Yeah. As long as I think it's 93% or mm-hmm. so of people in your community are vaccinated, well, you're covered by default. But it was just earlier this year there were stories in New York, and I want to say, well, I think it was primarily on the East Coast, where was it? What was it? Poli- not polio. I forget what the disease was. But it was like back. Yeah. And it had been gone since the early 90s. Mm-hmm. It was like we beat it. We kicked it to the curb. We put a, we put a, we put a win on that. Mm-hmm. And now it's back because people aren't getting vaccinated. It's like the vaccines were a victim of their own success. Yeah. Like they worked so well that people were like, like you said, we're not getting sick. No one has polio. No one has measles. Why are we still vaccinated? Oh, yeah, it was measles. Measles came back. And it's like, well, yeah, it's because for generations now we have been getting vaccinated. We have the herd protection. That's why. But then once a certain number or percentage of the herd isn't vaccinated, then you're allowed to introduce measles and mumps, rubella, polio. So my grandmother got polio before the vaccinations. And so that's someone right there. If she had been vaccinated, she wouldn't have had polio. And she's dealing with it now at like 77 years old. And that we're dealing with these diseases, these illnesses that have been cured basically for half a century or more. Yeah. It's mind blowing. And I had the information in front of me during that episode. And just the numbers were staggering on how many, like one in four would get the measles. Mm -hmm. You would just get it. You had it. And there was no cure. You just kind of had to ride it out. Mm -hmm. And you were wildly contagious which is why one in four would get it. And if you were a child, the numbers were so staggering on the bad things that could happen to you. Mm-hmm. The deaths and, and 
just how how far down that rabbit hole it can go. And after they vaccinated for it and it was wiped out, like that was it. Mm-hmm. Like you almost have to stay away from people for an entire week once you have it because you're so contagious. Which I'm yeah. curious as an educator, I side with people again, like I I try not to tell people like how to parent. There's no right way, but when it does affect me and mine, there's kind of like a line right there. I think it's a gray area. So when schools now are saying if your child is not vaccinated, they can't come to school, clearly they can feel persecuted against Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, it's our right to not vaccinate our children. But it's also the other parents' right to not have their kids exposed. So I I don't know where the line is like with that. As an educator, I'm on the side of I don't want your child unvaccinated in my room because, yeah, they're now exposed to the 30-some-odd kids in the room. You're also exposed now to me, and I could potentially be a host to take it home to my wife and my daughter. So for me, it's like if you're not vaccinated, you need to be vaccinated before you enter into our school because at a certain point, we have to balance individual rights with the rights of the public. Yeah. And in cases like this, when we're talking about measles and polio, mumps, rubella, I think the rights of the public outweigh the rights of the individual. Because you deciding not to be vaccinated could affect literally like dozens of people that you encounter. So for example, for example, we went to uh, Disneyland a few weeks ago and we had people telling us like, oh, there was like a measles outbreak at Disneyland. (laughs) And there was, I guess like, Someone wow. had the measles or what have you, and it went up into the ventilation, and then the patient zero was there. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's like oh, we're going to Disneyland and we're exposing ourselves to risk. It's like I get when I see people walking around with like hospital masks in yeah. public. It's like it, it makes sense. Hospital bills are wildly expensive, mm-hmm. and even with there's a coworker of mine who it seems like she's sick all the time. Every week is a cough and sniffling, and I'm like, are you sick again? Yeah. Can you just stay home? I have students like that. Yeah, because it's like, I don't get a sick day from being a parent. No. And if my kids get sick, I mean, I still have to work. It's not like I can take an entire day just to watch them. Yeah. So, I mean. It's like, yeah. hey, Frankie, I'm not feeling good. <laughs> just going to take care of yourself today. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a commercial on that where a parent, like, I'm not feeling too good. I don't think I'm going to take the day. And the kid's, like, uh, standing in the crib looking at him like, oh, my goodness. You can't do that. I think I remember that. <laughs> That's funny. Dave, I'm sorry to interrupt. I got to take a sick day tomorrow. Dads don't take sick days. Dads take NyQuil. It seems like with that, with vaccinations, there's really just one argument. And though it's been discredited, mm-hmm. it's there's enough people with blinders. To not want to look at any other any other thing because it's like I feel with conviction that this is correct, regardless of what anybody else says. And I like to side on the air of somewhere in the middle. Well, I think if you have the medical or the scientific community saying, "Yeah, that's not true," like, I'm going to go with that. I don't think they're trying to troll people either. I don't think the scientific right. community is like, "Oh, we're going to get them." Right. Exactly. Let's get them. They're know? that organized to where they could do that. <laughs> I think there's an emotional side to that. There's also a side of um, just a distrust of authority Yeah. where a scientist can say, I'm an expert, and then there is no link between autism and the vaccinations. Yeah. But they'll say, well, I know a guy on the internet, exactly. <laughs> or I saw a post on Facebook, 
So they're going to trust a post on Facebook versus a freaking scientist? Statistically, there's always going to be those people. There's always those mm-hmm. individuals statistically that are, out of every hundred, that you're going to have ten. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a recent story not too long ago where there was, I guess, videos going around where a guy was promoting this this mixture, this drink, this cleanse or something like that that would cure your kid of autism. And I've not, I'm, I don't have children with autism. I don't know what it's like to be a parent of a child with autism. But what I do know is that you'll do anything and everything for your kids. Right. And if you've tried everything... It's very dangerous when you have an individual out there mm-hmm. who is feeding misinformation. And this misinformation was bleach. He was feeding <sighs> these people with the idea that if you give your kids bleach, yeah. it will cure them. It'll burn the autism out of them. Wow. And, and it'll cure them because it cured him. Yeah. And unfortunately, the video, I think before YouTube had taken it down, it had gotten like over a million views. So people were already fed the misinformation and then there was also small movement groups on Facebook that had been systematically taken down. But still, the the word is kind of still going about stuff like that. Yeah, and that's the thing with social media and the internet. It's such a great tool for gaining knowledge, accessing information. But on the flip side, it can be used to spread misinformation. And I, I definitely see that with like vaccinations. With Climate change, <laughs> with flat earthers, oh, with, you pick your conspiracy, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's really unfortunate, but flat earthers have, has to be one of the more funny ones, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a documentary, actually, on on, on Netflix. They have a convention, too. Flat That's earther right. convention. So. That's true. That's funny. And I, so as we wrap up, because I feel so bad, I've taken up so much of your time here. I just want to ask, like, um, do you guys uh, plan on having another kid? Or what's your advice to people who maybe are thinking about having children? Well, in in regards to having another child, no. No, you've done it too. (laughs) No. Yeah, two and through. However, we always toy around with the conversation of maybe having a third. Mm -hmm. However, I believe, because my wife and I, we did talk about children before we had children, like when we were dating, Mm -hmm. uh, like what ideal number we would want we landed on two but we kind of both agreed that if we did have a third we would probably adopt oh wow and so that's not anytime soon Mm -hmm. but if we did we would probably go the adoption route yeah Uh, to anybody who's thinking about having children i say that you should definitely go full bore with whatever you you feel in your heart Mm -hmm. if you feel like having a child have one because they will fulfill you in every single way shape or form that you had envisioned mm-hmm. and they will also test you in every way shape or form that you didn't even think about but you'll become a better person for it and if you don't want to have children i think that you shouldn't you shouldn't have to there's nothing mm-hmm. that says you have to have kids right there's an entire life to be lived as just yourself and that's it i don't think that this whole cookie cutter you know like we were talking earlier the wife has to stay home or the husband one income households and you must have two children. I think it's five kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like do whatever it is that you and your partner agree upon or have in your heart. Mm-hmm. What I think does it disservice is a person who might want to have children and they're with someone who doesn't. I don't think right. you'll ever convince a person to want to have kids. I think that kids never, they magnify. Kids, 
I, the way that my wife and I have discussed it is kids magnify what's already there. And if you have problems in your relationships, kids magnify that. They don't fix yeah. your relationship or your marriage. And I know people who have done that. Yeah. You had kids thinking it's going to fix the problem. Makes it worse. If you have a great relationship and a, or a great marriage, mm-hmm. kids like multiply that. Yeah. You become a great family. You become a great household. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that you definitely got to have the, the foundation right first before you build upon it. So that's really good advice. And um, my brother is um, 12 years younger than me, and his wife is going to have a baby any day now. And I'm super <laughs> excited for them both. Um, he and his wife both come, and they, they'll look after our daughter and, or just visit, you know. So they're getting, they're getting their practice in right now. Um, it, 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 I keep telling him, this is going to change your life. Once your baby comes... You will never, you will never have a life like you have now. <laughs> like just unadulterated, total, complete freedom, whatever you want. Yeah. That's over. But it's for the best. Like your life is no longer about you. Your life is now about this child and it will be the best thing you've ever done. I agree. And then as we wrap up here, I just want to, where can we find you? Like online, podcasts, etc. Uh, it's Dad's Podcast Project. I'm on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, anywhere you consume podcasts. My website is RamonCampamore.com. Uh, that's really just a place where I host my podcasts or put up other creative works. And social media, Dad's Podcast Project or Ramon Campamore on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but I don't check Facebook. Uh, and I'm also on YouTube, but I don't post there regularly. So, <laughs> And then this is totally, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, so you have this dad's podcast project, but you have another podcast. You had another pro- podcast. That one's completely random. I don't even really know what I'm going to do with it. Uh-huh. So I don't really advertise it. Okay. So it's there. Kind of a... if, if people see the website, then they'll stumble upon it. Okay. Uh, I guess that can be an Easter egg for those who want to want to find it and listen to it. But... I'll hide it in the show notes. I'll hyperlink <laughs> it somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's really just a place to have conversations that don't fit. Under the narrative of Dad's podcast project. That's so. cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate your time. You're the man. And <laughs> I, yeah, I've been listening to your podcast. It's amazing. As a dad, like yesterday, I was listening, just washing dishes and like nodding vigorously. Like, yes, that's so true. <laughs> so if you're a parent or you're thinking, oh, maybe I'll be a parent one day. Yeah. T- check out Dad's podcast project. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Alright, so this is the part of the show where Joel and I each share one thing that we were reading or watched. Um, so this week, Joel, what are you listening to, watching, reading? I love this time of year because uh, all these top ten lists come out of mm-hmm. best. And I love to especially check up on NPRs. Like, I love their music um, department. They clued me into a band. Mm-hmm. And this is taking me off because they were a hit back in the summer and their music really is total summer music super super you'll listen to their songs and just want to dance and the cool thing about this band is they really don't know who the members are they came mm. they came up with their album kind of without saying who they are they have clues but um they're not for sure but anyway they're salt s-a-u-l-t so it could be soul 
if it's French, or I guess it could be salt, salt. Mm -hmm. But anyway, soul, salt, S A U L T, disco funk soul. That's Great. Cool. If you want, you will not be able to sit still or at least tap your foot <laughs> when you listen to them. Yeah, good stuff. Nice. Uh, this week, I want to share this really depressing podcast I started listening to. It um, premiered on December 1st, which is World AIDS Day. And the title of the podcast is called Plague, Untold Stories of AIDS and the Catholic Church. Mm. And it's done by um, a reporter for American Magazine. His name is Michael O'Loughlin. And he investigates the plague of AIDS and how the church both helped and stunted Mm. Just kind of uh, people who were dealing with AIDS, the families who were basically taking care of people who were suffering from mm. AIDS and HIV. And so it, it, you have these instances where you have people who are Catholic and gay and have AIDS. And there, for some people in the, in the church, the hierarchy, the clergy, who just, well, we were gay, so mm -hmm. we're not going to help you. We're, or... There were probably such conflicting emotions when the, some of the priests had AIDS, and 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 I'm, doesn't even go into that. Yeah, so far anyway. About that, uh, so this is a podcast that's relatively new, but it very well could. But then you have people who are like the nuns, people who are working in Catholic hospitals, who are helping people with AIDS. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a mix. It's a good balance. So mm. he doesn't. Michael O'Loughlin does not pull any punches. It's like this is the ugly truth. Or the beautiful truth about what happened. Yeah, both. And so there's this guy on the podcast who's um, he's a he's gay, but he has AIDS as well. He's still living with AIDS, but he got it in the '80s when it was basically a death sentence. Mm. And he said, "Yeah, my I went to the first um, like group counseling for people who are living with AIDS in the Catholic Church. Oh, wow! They met like at the parish, mm. and um, they actually I think they actually met like in the rectory. The um, I think it was the rectory. I don't know. They met at a smaller location, like a smaller location than the actual church. And then when the priest saw that they were meeting in there, it's like a little room, basically. Mm. He's like, okay, fine. Then you guys can have these meetings like in the actual church itself. So they actually moved into the church to have these meetings for people who are um, living with AIDS or their family members who were, you know, taking care of them. Super heartbreaking. Oh, gosh. And Did you see... Oh. Now, did that by any chance center around San Francisco at all? It's or? all over. Okay. So, like, it, yeah. the first episode focused a lot on New York. Okay. But, yeah, it's Did all you over. see the movie Milk? No. So good. Have you heard of Mar Harvey Milk? Mm-hmm. He uh, was a councilman in um, San Francisco during the AIDS e epidemic. But he was kicked out of the Navy. hope I have this right. And now they're actually naming a new... Destroyer or battleship or something like that after him. It's such yeah. a cool sort of indication of where we've come as a society. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Was he assassinated or? Yeah, uh, he was assassinated along with, uh, was it, I can't remember the other person, I think the mayor of San Francisco at the time. And Feinstein was a council member at the time also by another guy on the city council. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just. Get rid of all this if I have this wrong. Oh, yeah, you're right. But um, <clears throat> it's such a great movie. So it, it, it's a heartbreaking podcast, but it's one of those podcasts where it's like, okay, we need to hear this. Mm -hmm. Because um, it's still, I think we've gotten to the point where we can treat it and medicate it, but it's still, it still exists. We haven't eradicated it. Yeah. Yeah.
That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You can do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iTunes. Be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find the show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Cheers. I have spoken.